Chapter Two of The Restoration of the Gospel by Osborne J. P. Widso. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Wayne Cook. A Vision of the Father and the Son. It was a clear, beautiful morning in the early spring. Joseph Smith, the boy, awoke from his slumbers with an insistent desire to know what church he should join. The revival was drawing to a close. If he were to be converted during the progress of the revival, he must get religion soon. Yet he could not determine which of the contending sects was right. Only one thing seemed indelibly impressed upon his mind. It was the sermon of his friend, the Reverend Mr. Lane of the Methodist Church, and the golden text of James. That especially seemed to weigh upon him. He found the text in his own Bible, and read again the golden words. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. The words sank deep into the boy's heart. He pondered them earnestly. Surely he lacked wisdom, for he did not know what he would best do to serve the Lord. Then, if the Lord gave freely to those who asked, and abraded not, why should he not ask? The question recurred again and again. At length he determined that he must forever remain ignorant of the truth, or he must seek the Lord in prayer according to the admonition of James. On this beautiful morning in the spring of 1820, then, Joseph Smith retired into the nearby wood to pray. It was the first time in his life that he had made such a venture. Quote, Amidst all my anxieties, he wrote in the story of his life, I had never yet made the attempt to pray vocally. What followed in the sacred grove is best described in the prophet's own words. Quote, After I had retired to the place where I had previously designed to go, Having looked around me and finding myself alone, I kneeled down and began to offer up the desires of my heart to God. I had scarcely done so, when immediately I was seized upon by some power which entirely overcame me, and had such an astonishing influence over me as to bind my tongue so that I could not speak. Thick darkness gathered around me, and it seemed to me for a time as if I were doomed to sudden destruction. But exerting all my powers to call upon God to deliver me out of the power of this enemy which had seized upon me, and at the very moment when I was ready to sink into despair and abandon myself to destruction, not to an imaginary ruin, but to the power of some actual being from the unseen world who had such marvelous power as I had never before felt in any being, just at that moment of great alarm, I saw a pillar of light exactly over my head, above the brightness of the sun, which descended gradually until it fell upon me. It no sooner appeared than I found myself delivered from the enemy which held me bound. When the light rested upon me, I saw two personages, whose brightness and glory defy all description, standing above me in the air. One of them spoke to me, calling me by name, and said, pointing to the other, this is my beloved son, hear him. My object in going to inquire of the Lord 
was to know which of all the sects was right, that I might know which to join. No sooner, therefore, did I get possession of myself, so as to be able to speak, than I asked the personages who stood above me in the light, which of all the sects was right, and which I should join. I was answered that I must join none of them, for they were all wrong, and the personage who addressed me said that all their creeds were an abomination in his sight, that those professors were all corrupt, that, quote, they draw near me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They teach for doctrines the commandments of men, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. He again forbade me to join any of them, and many other things he did say unto me which I cannot write at this time. When I came to myself again, I found myself lying on my back, looking up into heaven. When the light had departed, I had no strength, but soon recovering in some degree, I went home, and as I leaned up to the fireplace, mother inquired what the matter was. I replied, Never mind, all is well, I am well enough off. I then said to my mother, I have learned for myself the Presbyterianism is not true. End quote. Such was the first vision, a vision of the Father and the Son. It was the first act in the great drama of the Restoration. Of course, Joseph's friends could scarcely believe that anything so wonderful had happened to him. He related the strange experience to the ministers, but they scoffed at the suggestion of a new revelation. Moreover, they became suddenly possessed of a bitter and inexplicable hatred of the young seer. They made him a public butt of ridicule, they maligned him in their discourses, and they persecuted him when he came among them. For having exercised a remarkable, quote, capacity for individual self-control, end quote, for having sought from the Lord himself to know the truth, for testifying that he had received the truth in a vision, the boy seer was cast off by his fellow men and doomed to stand alone. But, quote, I had actually seen a light, he wrote in after years, and in the midst of that light I saw two personages, and they did in reality speak to me. And though I was hated and persecuted for saying that I had seen a vision, yet it was true. And while they were persecuting me, reviling me, and speaking all manner of evil against me falsely for so saying, I was led to say in my heart, Why persecute me for telling the truth? For I had seen a vision. I knew it, and I knew that God knew it, and I could not deny it, neither dared I do it. At least I knew that by so doing I would offend God and come under condemnation. And what really was the significance of this first vision? Of what consequence was a boy's prophetic sight that the world should take cognizance of it? What great far-reaching truths did the vision contain that the religious world should still writhe under it? In the first place, the experience of the boy prophet demonstrated the fact that the word of God is good. It holds for anyone who approaches him in faith. The sectarian world had come to look upon the Holy Bible as little more than any other book. It was to be read, but not to be believed, so to say. But Joseph 
took seriously the word of God as announced by the prophet James. The boy prayed earnestly and honestly, and in answer to his prayer came the glorious vision of the Father and the Son. The word of God is truth, not fiction. Secondly, this first experience of the prophet revealed the fact that spiritual gifts may be enjoyed even in this day by those who seek the Lord in truth. Anciently, men dreamed dreams, saw visions, spoke in tongues, healed the sick, and did many other strange things by the power of the Lord. Just such things may men do now by the exercise of proper faith. It was thus that Joseph gained the spiritual blessings of the first vision. Then, in this vision, was first announced the fact of the great apostasy. Jesus himself denounced all the denominations of the world, saying that they worshipped him with their lips, but their hearts were far from him. He admonished the young boy who had sought him in prayer to join no one of them. Moreover, it appears on analysis of the vision that Jesus could accept none of the ministers who purported to serve him. They taught for doctrine the precepts of men. They held no authority from Jesus. And to preach in his name, surely the preacher should hold authority from him. Then this glorious first vision demonstrated the fact of the personality of God. Two heavenly beings appeared before the prophet. They were in form and bearing like men. The one raised his hand and pointed to the other and spoke. The other instructed the boy as a tutor might instruct his pupil. Moreover, in this same vision was clearly demonstrated the fact that the members of the Godhead are separate and distinct persons. Finally, the vision established the fact that God can and will speak to man whenever he chooses so to do in any age. Indeed, when the Church of Christ is upon the earth, there must also be revelation or communication with God. When revelation ceases, the true church also ceases, for it drifts like a rudderless ship from its course. These points, then, are demonstrated by the first vision of Joseph Smith. The word of God is to be relied upon. Spiritual gifts will attend the faithful even at the present day. The Christian churches of the world are without authority. The God of heaven is a God of personal, tangible form. The members of the Godhead are separate and distinct in person. And finally, the Church of Christ must be favored with continued revelation, else it must suffer spiritual death. But all these points were contrary to the doctrines of both Catholic and Protestant churches. In upholding them, the boy prophet aroused against himself the opposition of the whole religious world. Is it a matter of wonder, then, that the name of Joseph Smith is known the world over for good or for ill? Is it a matter of wonder that the religious world should take cognizance of the boy's prophetic sight, or that it should writhe under the arraignment of the first vision? Is it not rather a matter of wonder and admiration that the boy, scarce fourteen years old, evilly spoken of and persecuted, should still persist in his testimony that he had seen a vision? And from that first vision, what further has grown adds further to the wonder and admiration of the boy selected to usher in another dispensation. 
End of chapter 2.